Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Dr. Beck can be found at the WellMed Clinic at 410 in Centerview, and he is a uh, co-host here and has been now going on many weeks. Yeah, what, what has it been, a couple months now? Yeah, you're still having fun? I am. I always have fun. Well, it's good. It's fun, no, to get, <laughs> fun to get out of the clinic and do something else. Yeah, I'm sure of that. We enjoy yeah. having you on, and it, uh, yeah. it works out really great. We're going to talk about hearing loss in a moment, but I, I want to share with you something uh, that... Patients, because you see a older population of patients, uh, some younger now that uh, you're taking insurance from employers, but uh, for the older patients, many of whom are on blood thinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was scheduled on Friday uh, to have Roto-Rooter on my sinuses. I've had post-nasal drip forever, or so it seems. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm uh, over at... Uh, uh, the outpatient uh, surgical unit, and they got me all ready and prepped, and they got the IV in. Uh, that hurt a little bit, by the way, getting that IV in. I did not like that. They want to make sure you're paying attention and <laughs> yeah. will, willing to proceed. I, I did not like that at all. Yeah. And then uh, I happened to mention uh-huh. uh, to the nurse and, and to my ENT, who I won't identify, uh, I said, hey, you, know, you do know I'm on Eliquis, which is a blood thinner. Uh-huh. And pause. I'll be right back. And he came back and he said, well, you know, uh, normally we like to get you off that for five days or so before surgery for fear if we nick a vein or whatever, you'll bleed out and die. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, well, that's a heck of a choice. So take out the IV, went home. Does that happen very often that they just get overlooked that you're on a blood thinner? I think it's possible, you know, especially when you're talking about two different clinics, you know, different clinics, you know, we're sending information, you know, by me, by, by we, I mean, uh, the primary care team right. is, is faxing over, you know, your medications and, you know, it could be that the fax wasn't received or that the nurse overlooked it. I wouldn't say it's common. Most of the time, you know, they know that ahead of, uh, ahead of time. But, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to know that it happens from time to time. So for people on blood thinners, uh, you need to bring it up if they haven't asked you. Yeah, and I usually tell my patients to mention it anyways, uh, just in case it is overlooked. What's the risk in a surgery? Well, the, it depends on the surgery, but, you know, I- anytime you're doing any kind of surgery and you're cutting things, you know, there's always that risk of cutting the larger blood vessel, you, you know, whether it's one that you have to get to to do what you're doing. Uh, or, you know, you accidentally cut. And, you know, with Eliquis and with some of those blood thinners, unfortunately there's there's uh, no reversal agent or there may be a reversal agent, but most of the time, you know, it's either very expensive and the patients don't have it or they have to go to the hospital. And so you just run the risk of bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, and it makes it more difficult for the surgeon to do their job, so, which is why, you know, they ask that you stop it so many days before right. your surgery. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, very interesting, but very good that they were. I, I'm I'm happy that they were able to catch that for you. Yeah, me too. Because that might have made uh, you know what was maybe a simple procedure a, a little bit more challenging for the for the ENT. Well, rotorootering your sinuses yeah. has to be pretty simple. Yeah, I I I, w- I will say that you know on my ENT rotation as a uh, resident, I never got to see that. We, you know, we saw other things, but I never got to see a, a sinus surgery, and so I don't know exactly what kind of instrument they use. I don't know. But uh, if he... Chose, I'll give you the date and you can come watch. Sure. Yeah. Just uh, just have uh, my uh, admin admin give me the day off. That would be great. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> By the way, if you've just joined yeah. us, you're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. And you were saying, we were talking earlier off the air, that uh, among your patients, especially the 80, 90-year-olds, uh, very often loss of hearing is common. Yeah, it is very common, you know. Unfortunately, you know, we, we, we don't get younger. We, we, we get older and our bodies get older. And so things tend to not work as well as it, they once did. And so one of the things that comes about with aging, especially when you're talking about those 70, 80, and 90-year-olds, and it, you know, progresses the older you get, is hearing loss. You know, there's something called presbyacusis, which is uh, another name for age-related hearing loss. And usually it's the loss of high-pitched sounds, uh, you know, or others may, may label it as uh, selective hearing to their spouse, so to speak. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, well, they yeah. get accused of that. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, no, it's just uh, presbyacusis. Oh, you there know? you are. Uh, but yes, you know, so that's common. And so I commonly see that in my patients. You know, I would say that out of every five patients, probably three have hearing-related issues whether they already have a diagnosis or whether it's a new problem that they're bringing up to me, but it is very, very common. And if you have that problem, do you know it? Uh, well, oftentimes, you know, if it's presbyacusis, it's a gradual onset of hearing loss that usually occurs in both ears. Um, and so maybe you won't realize it, but your family will point it out because your family will say, hey, you know, I'm asking you a question and you're not paying attention. Or, you know, maybe you're asking to speak up or maybe you're watching a TV show and you're turning the TV volume really, really high uh, or you're yelling on the phone. And so usually those are your cues, but you yourself may not know it. And is there a test to know you have presbyacusis? Yeah. So the first thing to do is to bring it up to your PCP if you have one. It's you know, your primary care your provider. Your primary care doctor. And so you bring it up to him and then he can look and determine whether you have a conductive hearing loss. So conductive meaning it's more of a structural problem, whether it's the ear canal, whether it's the tympanic membrane, which is that little piece of glass that kind of vibrates back and forth and sends, you know, the uh, sound vibrations to, you know, a few bones that you have in the middle ear that then, you know, transmit the sounds to your brain and you interpret it as sound. So like the eardrum? Like the eardrum would be another another term. Or uh, sensory neural hearing loss, which is due to presbyacusis, which is a problem with the nerve conduction that goes to the brain, the nerve signal that goes to the brain. And so you bring this up to your primary care doctor who will talk to you and ask you a few more questions and then take a peek in your ear. And then at that time, he can determine whether it's a conductive or a sensory neural or, you know, a a nerve-related cause and then make appropriate suggestions at that time. Oftentimes, it may be as easy as, you know, you just have a lot of wax. Why do we produce earwax? Uh, Well, so earwax helps protect the canal from uh, infection. It helps keep the canal moisturized. 
um, and it helps to some degree with, you know, sound vibration, you know, when it's small. But, I mean, really it's just a protective mechanism for the canal so it doesn't dry up. So digging it out with that Q-tip doesn't help you? No, because unfortunately the Q-tip tends to push it back in the ear, and so you really don't want to do that. So it's okay to use a Q-tip on the outer edge of, of uh, the ear canal, but you don't want to stick it all the way inside the ear. Plus, you run the risk of injuring your eardrum by doing that. And, and what's the home remedy then to get that earwax out of there? Well, they sell kits over the counter. There's a kit, you know, not that I favor a particular brand, but there's Debrox, which is an earwax softening uh, uh, suspension that you put in your ear that softens up the wax. And oftentimes, they'll have a bulb syringe that you can use to kind of flush out the ear, or you can go see your primary care doctor who may have uh, a, a more sophisticated irrigation system or sometimes we have to refer to ear, nose, and throat doctors when it's really, really stuck in there or really, really hard, and they have a vacuum that we'll use to suck out oh. the earwax. And so sometimes it may be as easy as that. Uh, but for those you know who don't have the earwax-related cause of hearing loss, uh, you know, you, I usually, as a primary care doc, will either refer to an audiologist or I will refer to an ENT. Uh, That's who ear, will, nose, and throat. Ear, nose, and throat, who will perform the evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those uh, who, who begin over time to uh, suffer from hearing loss, and they're getting feedback from family and others, hearing aids are an answer? Hearing aids may be an answer depending on the kind of hearing loss. If it's uh, conductive, then hearing aids may not help. Um, if it's age-related hearing loss or a, uh, a nerve-related or brain-related cause, uh, then maybe he- hearing aids may help. Sometimes, you know, some of these patients will get uh, amplifiers, which just amplifies the sound uh, so that that's transmitted so that they can hear it. Uh, so it's not a one-size-fits-all. It really depends, and, and truthfully, I let the ENT decide that. How about that big horn you see in cartoons? Uh, to get their attention, yes. Uh, you know, and maybe that's a good way to know whether it's actually truly hearing loss or just selective, right? I like that. <laughs> yeah. And why do my three kids have selective hearing? Because they're kids, <laughs> and they choose to, choose to. I think we have that same problem in our family. <laughs> so if you think you're having yeah. a problem with hearing, start with your PCP. Start with the PCP, bring it up, you know, get an ear examination to determine if it's something as simple as just earwax, or, you know, you, you know, we've had popcorn kernels in ear canals. Sometimes people have insects in ear canals that wander into the ear. Seriously? Seriously. Not so much with me, but my dad, who is a, uh, an ER doc, uh, has been known to take out cockroaches and earwigs from people's ears. Wow. Uh, because they find their way in there at night when you're asleep and don't realize it. Well, it's dark and moist. Yeah, and then the one thing I yeah exactly you know there's a good place to hide, right? If you're a cockroach. If you're a cockroach, and then the the other thing I didn't mention is it it could be an ear infection. You know they're having pain, they're having drainage, they're having hearing loss. Well, it may be related to inflammation of the canal from the infection or infection of the eardrum or tympanic membrane, and uh, so it may be as simple as just treating the infection itself. And that should make it go away. It should hopefully. Now. Like presbyopia, not able to read up close as you get older. Mm-hmm. The problem with ears as you get older is universal. Everybody uh, has presbyopia when they hit 45 or 50. Yeah, I would say that everybody will get some degree of hearing loss the older they get. Some maybe sooner than later. It just really depends on anatomy and, you know, anatomy, exposure. You know, if you were exposed to loud sounds that, you know, affected the nerves that run, you know, the uh, sound sound waves or sound vibrations to your brain. 
um, or you know maybe you had an ear injury where your tympanic membrane was ruptured, and that can affect uh, your ability to to hear well. You know, so it really depends. But yes, everybody pres- presbycusis is something that happens to the majority of people. You know, the older they get. It's like Sesame Street. Our word for today is presbycusis. Yes. Can you spell that for me? No, I can't, but you probably can. (laughs) Probably so. If you thought about it. Yes. Well, I want to talk more uh, about another topic, and that would relate to questions involving extremities, knees, shoulders, elbows, Mm -hmm. needing replacement. Okay. And we'll talk about that in just a minute right here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. And remember... Caregiver SOS On Air, Saturdays at 7.30 a.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. on Freedom, 1160 KRDY. Well, we are so happy you were with us today on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. He's a primary care physician, board certified in family practice, and he sees a lot of the issues we talk about on this show, uh, occasionally referring people to specialists, but for the most part, you treat a lot of stuff, right? A little bit of everything. And for folks who are complaining about uh, joints, you know, my knee is killing me, or elbows or shoulders or hips what's going on uh well the majority you know it it really depends the majority of the time you know as you get older it may be arthritis you know that's probably your most common cause of joint pain would be arthritis which is the wear and tear of the joint which leads to uh just that just a wear down or a degeneration of the joint which leads to pain because there's less tissue in between so you're rubbing bone on bone so you're you're you can eventually rub bone bone on bone and that can lead to pain um and so oftentimes that's uh you know what we diagnose as arthritis some joints are more predisposed than others your weight bearing joints like your knees your ankle uh, your hips are more prone than, let's say, your elbow or your wrist. Uh, but, you know, depending on what you do, you know, wear and tear is, you know, you use your hands every day. And let's say you were a carpenter for a long time and, uh, you know, you developed arthritis in your wrist, then it may have been because of what you did for a living, you know. Um, now, we can replace knees. We can replace hips. Do you replace wrists? Uh, you know, I have yet to see a wrist replacement, and uh, I wouldn't put it past that being an option. Um, and uh, especially if you have maybe another kind of arthritis called rheumatoid arthritis, um, which is an inflammatory arthritis. Uh, that it's some- very painful. That's very painful. And uh, sometimes, you know, the arthritis gets so bad that maybe you need some kind of surgery. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that they actually replace the wrist with like a fake wrist, uh, but they may do some sort of a fusion of some sort, you know, so that, you know, they take out some bones and then they fuse some other bones and, uh, and that's your new wrist. What does arthritis look like when, when you go into that wrist or knee or? 
joint. Yeah. So what you know, oftentimes when these patients come in, let's say they complain about you know, let's just say knee pain, for example, or hip pain. You know, and we and they say, oh, you know, they hadn't injured themselves, and this has been the gradual progression over the past, you know, few, you know, years or maybe longer, and it's gradually gotten worse. Um, you know, then we'll get an X-ray, and on that X-ray, sometimes we'll see uh, a joint space, which is a, a space that we see in between two bones that make up the joint, uh, and you'll see that that space is smaller. Uh, sometimes you'll see uh, irregularity of the surface of the bone uh, that shows the wear and tear, the degeneration of the bone that we're looking at. Uh, but that's really what we look at. And sometimes you'll see osteophytes too. Osteophytes is where you get bone spur. Another word for that is a bone spur. So you see growths of, of bone that may be impinging on tissue. Uh, that may lead to, to pain, and so that's usually what we look for. And then, you know, you know, we're kind of spoiled. We have a nice little radiologist that doesn't do anything but read X-rays all day, and so they'll <laughs> gi- they'll give us their final in- interpretation and, and and either confirm or deny, you know, our suspicion. <laughs> I have a neighbor who's a radiologist and uh, has an office at home and has X-rays. Uh, who are sent to him digitally from all over the country. He's just reading x-rays. Must be nice, you know. Just wear shorts all day and right. prop your feet up and just read x-rays. And, and never see a patient. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and sometimes there are interventional radiolo- radiologists that will do some certain procedures. But, yeah, there are the radiologists that don't see any patients and just read films all day. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. They usually tend to be a little bit paler and deficient in vitamin D from being <laughs> indoors sure. all day. <laughs> Wouldn't you get bored doing that all day? Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe so. Um, I mean, I until I, bingo, you find something. I probably get bored because you know I, I like primary care because I see a little bit about everything. Interactive. You know? Yeah, exactly. Now, when it comes to uh, treating pain, uh, wherever it is, joint pain, uh, we know that at some point, if it, if it's a knee or a hip, uh, we can do replacements. Yeah, you know, it depends on the age, depends on the severity of the arthritis. You know, if you have bone on bone, which basically means that on the x-ray there is no joint space. Uh, it's, it's gone, and so there's bone rubbing on bone, which is causing pain uh, because bones can feel pain, right? When you fracture a bone, you feel pain because the bone was fractured. Uh, and so, you know, oftentimes that will lead to, you know, uh, replacements. Depends on what medical problems the patient has, whether they're fit, fit enough or healthy enough to have surgery. Maybe they've tried physical therapy and it hasn't helped. Maybe they've had, for example, uh, injections, steroid injections or other kind of injections called rooster comb injections that ortho will sometimes do. All those poor roosters running around without their combs. Tell me about it, you know. But actually, you know, they actually are uh, formulated from a hyaluronic acid, right. which comes from the rooster comb. So I always thought that to be a silly name, but, you know, it's because that's what's in the shot. <laughs> well, I had knee pain. I've had a knee replacement. Sure. Knockwood, it's working great. Uh-huh. Uh, but I went through all those various... Uh, injections, uh-huh. including re- rooster beak juice, yeah. which did nothing for me. Yeah, and and you and, know, and they say it depends on the patient. It does depend on the patient, and I would say that the majority of the times, the steroid shots and the rooster uh, rooster comb injections are just uh, temporary. They're not curative. You're not going to grow new tissue with that. You're not going to get a new joint space. You're not going to make the arthritis improve. 
And so oftentimes, you know, my patients will ask, you know, they'll say, well, tell me about the arthritis, you know, what can I do to cure it? And I say, you can't because it's just, you know, I tell them when, you, when I find the fountain of youth, I'll let you know and then you can swim in it. Exactly. That's, that's usually a phrase I use every week. But um, oftentimes, you know, those are just temporary and then you get to the point that where either you, you know, unfortunately you have to suffer with the pain uh, and the limited mobility that that causes or you consider getting surgery. I can remember at one time getting an injection, uh, and it helped for four days. Mm-hmm. It was like a miracle. The pain was gone. Mm-hmm. I could dance an Irish jig. I was in great shape, uh-huh. and then it came back. And then the fifth day came. Uh, and the yeah. fifth day, on the fifth day, there was pain. Yeah, well, when you dance every day for four days, <laughs> then you know, the fifth day tends to be hard. It was probably my fault, right? Yeah. No, I would say, you know, and that's what I tell my patients because I do steroid shots. You know, we don't do the rooster comb shots. Those are left up to ortho, but we do the uh, steroid shots. Right. And I tell them, you know, if you get at least, you know, a good three months, if you get a good, a good three months, uh, you know, out of this of minimal pain, you know, or no pain, uh, you know, that improvement, then it was successful. If you get no, not, no improvement a day, a week, a month, then it really wasn't successful and it may not help. And it may be that, um, you know, maybe it wasn't injected, you know, in the joint space completely or in the right spot, or maybe it just wasn't effective, you know, and, and, and then you have to think of other options. For those who have had joint replacements, me being one of them, mm-hmm. how long is that joint good for? What's the warranty on that joint? I think it really depends on the manufacturer. And, and, but I'd like to say... I didn't that, get any papers. Yeah, I, I, I don't say know. On, on average, you know, I, from what I'm heard, you know, I'm, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but right. I would say on average, you know, from, from what, I've, what I hear is 20 years. 20, 20 years. years. A good 20 years. Uh, you know, assuming that the hardware remains stable, but, you know, with normal, normal use, not, you know, excessive use, a good 20 years would be my guess, which is why they don't want to do knee replacements on people that are younger. Like if you're, you know... I don't know, in your 50s, you know, or 40s, uh, maybe, you know, 50s, you don't want to get it too young because then you're going to have to get it replaced again. Yeah, do it again. again. Exactly. And so oftentimes we try to manage those patients more conservatively with the physical therapy, exercise, maybe some pain medication if they need it, uh, and try to delay the, the, the knee replacement as long as we can. But if you're bone on bone, yeah. what can physical therapy do for you? Uh, not a whole lot other than Thank maybe, you very much. maybe, maybe strengthen your quads. Maybe it strengthens your quads. Maybe it allows you to, you know, your calves, maybe it allows you to lose a little weight. And so maybe that offsets some of the discomfort on the right. knee, but not a whole lot, which is also, you know, what you can expect for people that have serious health problems. Those that have heart failure, those that have really bad COPD and that are bone on bone on their knees, oftentimes they can't get surgery because they're so high risk, you know, of dying from right. from the surgery because of their other health problems. So with them, you you know, unfortunately, you just have to treat them conservatively with medication for pain. So the knee replacement was a success, but they died anyhow. But they died. Yes, exactly. Well, you know that that, that may be the outcome. But you know, hey, we don't know what the future holds. So we're trying to do the best we can for the patient today. And for those who are wondering, mm-hmm. uh, from the PCP, if you're thinking about getting a joint replacement, mm-hmm. hips, which are pretty commonly replaced these days, mm-hmm. and knees, which mm-hmm. they almost do in the parking lot now as outpatient, they do them so fast. Mm-hmm. Who do you see, an orthopod or you start with a PCP? 
Well, typically you would, it depends, you know, like with WellMed, you know, and, and, and the patients that we see in their health plan, they usually have to see us first. And then, you know, we'll try conservative treatment. Uh, and then if, if all fails, then we'll refer the ortho. Uh, but for those that have commercial plans and that are really adamant about seeing an orthopedic doctor, then we'll just refer them to an orthopedic doctor. So it really just depends. It depends on the patient, depends on the degree of pain, it depends on how bad their 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 knee or hip or ankle look, uh, shoulder. You know, shoulders can be replaced too. Um, so it really depends. Um, and then sometimes, you know, if they have an accident and they fracture their hip, well, then sometimes there's no option, right? But to right. replace it. Now, for shoulders, that, that's a unique joint. It, it moves in so many directions. Yeah, and so one of the downsides, at least with the technology that we have now, unless there's something new, uh, it, because I've had you know a couple of patients who have had their shoulder replaced, is that they do improve as far as pain is concerned because they now have a new joint that's not causing pain and it's not rubbing on their you know the the socket, the glenohumeral uh, uh, you know the glenohumeral joint. Um, however, uh, but they have limited mobility, limited range of motion. So that could end your major league career as a pitcher. Yes, exactly. So obviously, you know, if you're a, a professional baseball player, then you don't want to do that. <laughs> Just pitch through the pain. Yeah, pitch through the pain or look for alternative uh, treatment options. There, There is regenerative medicine, uh, which is kind of a theoretical investigative medicine where you inject other things that tend to stimulate growth of new tissue. Uh, but it's uh, it's really questionable whether it's actually effective or not. Soon we'll have growing in the lab new shoulders. Yes, and then, and and then you'll have your. I'll answer, give you my right? stem cells. You grow me a shoulder. There you go. I like Th- that. That may that may be in the future, right, Doctor Beck? We are fresh out of time. Folks want to see you. They just head over to the four ten at Centerview Clinic, and you're looking for new patients. Always looking for new patients. Yes, myself and and my fellow uh, colleagues. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, any 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 patients looking for a doc, we're great to great to Bingo. have. Thank you. Well, I'm at radio. I'm Ron Aaron with Dr. Joshua Beck. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.